record boost number one, a kickstart for Australia, gold and a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners, Donovan Bailey is putting on a third, he's got it! 984, a world record for Donovan Bailey and a gold medal! A perfect score. 10.0 for Dante Tabanici, a perfect score. The first time I've never seen it. So in over 100 years, nobody's won as many medals at the Olympic Games in any sport than this great champion, Michael Phelps. Usain Bolt sprinting ahead, winning by daylight and setting a world record, 9.68. The wind is okay. How easy was that? Welcome back to Off the Podium, an Olympics podcast as we get closer and closer to the 2020-2021 Tokyo Summer Games. And we're continuing to bring you interviews from Olympians, past, present, future, whatever. Today we actually get to go back to the past for one of the most accomplished figure skaters of all time. We're talking to Tessa Virtue, who along with her partner Scott Moyer won two gold medals, one in Vancouver, one in Pyeongchang, and a silver in between, as well as multiple world championships. Tessa is one of the most accomplished figure skaters of all time, which we do get to talk to her about all those accomplishments here on this interview, and as well catching up with what she's up to right now and uh, what it's been like since she retired from figure skating about a year and a half, two years ago. And as you hear me say in this interview, I mean, Tessa is one of those athletes that we've probably talked about on this podcast going back several years. Like, who do we want to get on? One of these days, we'd love to get Tessa Virtue on here. So mission accomplished. This is a really good chat and hope everybody enjoys it. Let's get right into it. Here is our interview with Tessa Virtue. We are thrilled to bring you another Winter Olympian interview, as that seems to be our trend the last couple of weeks uh, as we're gearing up for the Summer Olympics. Appropriately, we'll bring you winter athletes, but uh, we couldn't be happier because today we get to talk to a three-time Olympic medalist, two-time gold medalist, three-time world champion, reality TV star, and uh, many other ventures, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit here. Tessa Virtue. Tessa, thanks so much for being here. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Now, we always start out these interviews just by asking, you know, how you got into the sport in the first place. I mean, you grew up in Canada, so skating is just natural, you know, uh, before you can walk for some kids. But uh, figure skating specifically, how did you get into that as a kid? Well, you're right. Being Canadian, it's it's in our blood, isn't it? It's just ingrained in us from such an early age. Um, well, I actually started skating. I had my grandmother drive me to the rink for lessons when I was six because my grade one class was going on a field trip and I wanted to be able to skate with them. And she showed up at the rink and it was actually Scott's aunt who was uh, teaching Carol at the time. And and my grandmother said, you know, this is just the thing Tessa does for fun. It's going to be a hobby, no tests, no competitions. And about a year later, I was paired with Scott. So that didn't last very long. Well, well, that's funny because I mean, we interview so many people and they'll always say, you know, I was really competitively into sports and all that. And I sort of eventually, you know, got into this, uh, you know, professionally or amateur, whatever, really got competitive, but it was just sort of a hobby for you. So when did you, do you even remember sort of making the jump to, I want to do this competitively? Well, I grew up in a family that was really sports oriented. There was a heavy emphasis on both education and sport. And so my parents wanted to expose us to any and every activity possible. So the list was endless of, of um, you know, my after school hobbies. 
But it didn't take long for Scott and I to realize that we liked the competition side of it. I think we both have that drive quite naturally. And it was just about, you know, being the best in juvenile that we could possibly be and then moving our way up to pre-novice. Um, I suppose, you know, when we started to travel from London to Waterloo to train with um, different coaches and better ice dance teams, you, you know, it was obvious we were taking it more seriously. And then, of course, when I was 13 and Scott was 15, we, we moved away from home to pursue that on a different level. Mm -hmm. And you have to forgive me for my ignorance here because uh, I'll follow figure skating. I mean, tune in every single time for the Olympics and all that and even, you know, just regular events. But I, I can't quite wrap my head around the difference between regular pairs figure skating and ice dancing. What is the major difference? Is it the music? Is it what you're allowed to do as far as like uh, the technique? Well, ice dance is just a discipline of figure skating. So the rules are different in that we don't jump. Um, we don't do overhead lifts. So the man's arms aren't extended overhead. Um, yeah, some of, some of the intricacies are quite different in the, in the technical demands. When you and Scott were paired up, you know, did you try different disciplines? We both continued our single skating throughout, um, you know, well into our teenage years. Uh, it was important to build that set of you know, skating skills and whether that was jumping or spinning, um, I think that really served a purpose for us. And, but as soon as we were paired up, it was always about ice dance. We were always close in size and neither of us really had any interest in big throws or triple jumps. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and how important do you feel like the chemistry was, the experience you guys had from such a young age in the success you had later on, because I mean, you might arguably go down as you know the the most um, uh, rewarded, uh, competitive, the most successful duo of all time. Uh, and I don't know if that's a, a regular thing that that you'll just find a pair at such a young age and stick with it for decade, two decades. I think it's somewhat rare. Um, we had an American counterparts, Meryl Davis and Charlie White, whom mm -hmm. we competed against for many, many years, and and they too had that sort of longevity. But, you know, we felt really fortunate to have been paired up at, at that age. I mean, it was um, wild to think about how much time we've spent together, you know, just in all of our training in all of the years. But I think that added to uh, the level of trust we had, the, you know, the prioritization of that partnership and really leveraging the strength of that and really wanting to be our best for one another. There was an accountability there that, um, you know, I don't think it could have manifested in a different way. And you both emerge with uh, 2010, you know, being both world champions and then all, obviously as well, the Vancouver Olympics. Now, were the world championships before the Olympics or were the Olympics first? Which came first? The Olympics. And did you know, I, I guess, a year, two years out, hey, we have a shot at making the Olympics, let alone that it's going to be at home in Vancouver? Well, we had known for quite some time, I'm not sure, is it eight years in advance or nine years in advance when they announced where the, the games would be? So even at that point, Scott, Scott said, you know, we'll, we'll be there. Um, but we narrowly missed out on the Torino games in 2006. We were the alternates and that was just devastating for us. Yeah. It was truly heartbreaking at 16 and 18, thinking that we needed that Olympic experience there before we could leverage any kind of success in, in Vancouver uh, four years later. And so to miss out on that, we knew heading into the 2010 season that we needed to give ourselves every opportunity to not just be there, but to have a chance at the podium. And being at home in Vancouver, I mean, we've talked to a couple of Canadians who 
won their medals on home turf. I mean, what was the experience of that like? I mean, obviously you'd go on to win medals in Sochi and Pyeongchang as well. I mean, was there anything that compared to just the reaction you got from the crowd being at home in Vancouver? It was so special. And that's what, that really is what every athlete dreams of, to be able to win on home soil and better yet to have an Olympic games that was magical in every way. I think no matter you know, what sport you were participating in, what country you came from, Canada was on display and it's, you know, it's way of hosting so graciously was, was really remarkable. And we were just so proud. We were proud of the country. We were proud of, um, you know, the event that was put on. And so standing on the podium and singing, Oh, Canada, with mm. all of those people at the Pacific Coliseum is, is a memory we'll cherish forever. And obviously you'd go on to um, Sochi and you'd win the silver medals. Uh, do you experience like that disappointment or because I, 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 you hear so many athletes were like, you know what, I came in fourth, I came in fifth and it was just amazing to be there. But I have to imagine once you've been at the top, once you've been gold to do the, the silver medal in Sochi, like did that just push you harder where you wanted to come back another time or were you like satisfied? You know what, we've now got a gold and a silver. Let's complete the whole set. Let's go for a bronze eventually. <laughs> well, we weren't going for bronze, that's for sure. But, um, you know, we were satisfied in our performances. And we tried to think of those, each, each Olympic experience as a kind of a unique chapter and its own, um, in its own silo almost uh, of living that. And at the time, I remember feeling like we were carrying the burden of defending a title. And we thought, you know, if we come back home to Canada with silver medals, that it might be a failure. Mm -hmm. And I wish that we had recognized earlier that our fellow Canadians really just wanted to see us happy and at our best. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we just, we weren't good enough. We weren't good enough, but we did the very best we possibly could in those moments. And, you know, we, we walked away from the sport at the time, really thinking that we were content and that we had received kind of that gratification from the sport. And, you know, the funny thing is that it, it wasn't coming out of Vancouver or, uh, you know, a world championship where you had the the most spotlight on you, I feel. I mean, I feel like it was coming out of Sochi where you guys became, these names are just synonymous with sports in general in Canada. I mean, so much so that it wasn't even a stretch that you got your own television show. I mean, I can't think of many Olympians, period, who ended up with their own TV show. I mean, how did that actually come about? And do you even remember that being pitched to you? Like, did you want to do that? Were you hesitant? Hmm. I think that actually happened before the Sochi games, um, the filming of that and, and the airing, but yeah, we had long wanted to let people into the behind the scenes of what goes on in, you know, amateur sport. Um, I think there are a lot of misconceptions, especially with figure skating. Mm -hmm. um, it's always something that, you know, both Scott and I love watching, you know, we love documentaries. We love seeing people yeah. train. We love seeing the intricacies and the teamwork involved. Um, you know, not just the final results and performances. So it was something we had dreamed of for a while. Um, the timing was interesting in that we knew that, you know, to capitalize, it needed to sort of be in the lead up to the games, but it wasn't ideal to, uh, we didn't want it to affect our training. And I think in our minds, we, we really saw it as a sport documentary. And of course, as you know, it took on a bit of a different shape in the end uh, on a lifestyle network. Once you uh, obviously get up to Pyeongchang then, now you're... I guess not, you're not defending the gold medal, but you're going for the second gold medal. I mean, ultimately you would become the most decorated skaters Canada had ever produced. I mean, I, I, am I right? It's even, is there anyone else in the world who's won as many medals as the two of you? 
Well, I mean, the introduction of the team event in Sochi really helped us because mm-hmm. it was new for, for figure skaters to be able to go for multiple medals at an Olympic Games. So, you know, it's an, it sounds nice, that stat, but um, we, we have a bit of a leg up. <laughs> um, uh, you know, heading into Pyeongchang was really interesting because we were doing things really on our own terms. We were fully responsible for, you know, our vision. And we had this amazing training team, um, you know, about four, between 14 and 20 off-ice staff members who are helping us achieve these goals. And as mature athletes, I think we just came in with the unique perspective of just wanting to do it in our own way and to savor the process. It, it wasn't really about even the medal in Pyeongchang. And, and I, you know, I think we both said when we got on the plane to fly to Korea, our, our job had almost been done because we were so grateful to have had the chance to put in those two years of the comeback, um, trying to become the ice dance team. We really wanted to be at that point did you know this is probably going to be our final olympics yes had you come home with no medal you you still would have been just as satisfied you're saying well i don't think there was a an option for us to continue <laughs> i don't think that was on the table for either of us uh, felt like we were kind of pushing it as it was but mm-hmm. yeah of course when we made the decision to to pursue pyeongchang we had to come to terms and reconcile with the fact that we we might not even get on the podium. We might, yeah. we might fail and it might be epic, <laughs> but that was part of the risk that we were willing to take. I think we wanted to bank on ourselves and count on ourselves and see what we could do. In a way, that's probably got to be the best way you could go out too, because I, there are a ton of athletes. I mean, we've interviewed one a couple of years ago on the show who at the time said, yeah, this is absolutely going to be my final Olympics ever and already training for another Olympics, you know, because it didn't quite go the way as planned. But when you go in and you're like, you know, it, it doesn't matter if we win or not. I mean, that has to be the ideal way. You just have that decision in your head. You know what? We're doing this for the sport. Now we're doing this for the experience. It doesn't matter if we win and then you can go out happy. Yes, you're right. Yeah. It sounds so easy when you say it like that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but had you gotten there and not got the gold, maybe it could have been a different story. Who knows? But you did get it. I mean, do, do you have a favorite of the Olympic moments or even include the world championships in there? Which one was the, the most satisfying for you? Would it be the first? Would it be the last? It's hmm, a good question. I would have to say Pyeongchang and I'm not sure if that's just recency bias, but it, it felt like we were the most sure of ourselves as, as people and as athletes, we were more prepared than ever before. And I think that was our, you know, our calling card in mm-hmm. that we could just like, we outworked people. And um, we, ha- and I credit that to our B210 team in Montreal who, who helped to facilitate that because in a way we couldn't lose. We really, we mitigated the risk as much as possible. And we believed in our material. We loved our programs. Um, we were ready. We always ask this question of any uh, medals we have on the show. Do you have a special place you keep your medals? I don't. No, they, they <laughs> nobody does. Them. That's weird. I think. Yeah, I think they're in some. I, I usually like say they're in my sock drawer. I really think that that's where they are. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever use it to you gain a bit of an advantage, like when you first got home? Uh, or first, I guess, got home from home in Canada. Uh, do you ever like show the Olympic, hey, Olympic gold medalist here, you know, can I get a, a free Coke with my fries or something like that? No, I never really felt like that would um, serve me or get me very far. <laughs> uh, now, I do have to ask you about something else because uh, last year I was at Toys R Us shopping for uh, my son's birthday and uh, I walked past 
your doll, like which to me blew my mind that there's an, a Canadian Olympic medalist who has their own action figure doll, whatever you want to call it. I mean, as far as I know, this is also the first time since maybe Barbara Ann Scott that a Canadian Olympic uh, or Olympian has actually had their own doll. Uh, how did that come about? Well, they've recently added uh, some of the hockey women to the roster uh, in the Barbie family, which has been amazing to see. I'm so proud of them. But yeah, I mean, what a moment that was for me. I think I, I everything I do, I strive to empower women and young girls, especially. And I love what Barbie has done in their mission to really help young girls find their self-esteem, their sense of self-worth. And so much of that can be done through play and using our imagination when we're kids. I mean, we, we know that feeling when you're four or five years old and you think you can grow up and be anything, you can do anything. And I love that. And it's so sad when, and when we lose that because, um, you know, there are these different societal pressures that are placed on us. So yeah, you know, working with my costume designer to make sure that it, the likeness was accurate and really seeing the doll come to life, watching my nieces play with it is really special. And it's been a really humbling and inspiring uh, collaboration. And you know, it's funny because I, I, I thought about buying that for my nieces too, but then I thought to myself, you know, I've got a four-year-old boy, I've got twins that are turning to him. Like, I wouldn't have a problem with them playing with this. I mean, they'd have an Olympic hero, you know, toy to play with. And that's something that I wouldn't want yeah. them to eat it or wreck it. So maybe this is a young age for them, but <laughs> got to pick no, it up perfect. at some point, right? <laughs> I love that. You're right. And boys, girls, who doesn't matter. You know, we can all play. We can all use our imaginations. I think that's the beauty of it. Now that you have uh, moved on and uh, you're not skating with Scott anymore, do you guys still keep in touch? Is it weird for you to not be seeing each other and working with each other every single day? I mean, it's weird for me when I leave a job after five years and this is, you know, the majority of your life. Mm -hmm. It is strange. Um, I think it's helped, you know, on, on my end that I'm not in the skating sphere as much anymore. So, you know, if were I walking into an arena every day, that would feel inordinately odd mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and just wrong. But, you know, it's been nice to keep in touch and, um, you know, continue to build this friendship in, in a very different way. We've put in the work, we've, we've achieved success together as business partners, and now we can just watch one another kind of thrive and pursue new passions. And it's fun to play that supporting role. Now, uh, we do run through a, fi a final series of questions here that we ask all the guests. And um, I actually assumed that you would have had one on here. We're still waiting for that. But uh, Team Canada's website before every Olympics, they do this thing called My Name Is, where they get the athletes to fill out in their handwriting and everything, uh, you know, series of questions, some of them sports oriented, some of them fun, draw pictures. We obviously can't have you draw pictures, but I would have thought that you would have had one on there, but apparently you don't. So uh, mm -hmm. we can get your answers here based off of uh, who do I have as the base here? We're using Eric Radford's uh, questionnaire here. So uh, quick fire questions to sort of give us first thing off the top of your head. Uh, first off, my favorite Olympic moment is, I mean, you kind of already said Pyeongchang. Oh, of my own or someone else's? Uh, go with your own, I think. Okay, because I was going to say there are just so many um, Canadian moments. I'm such an Olympic junkie, so I can probably e more easily list off someone else's. Yeah, Pyeongchang, free dance. Uh, if I could have any superpower, it would be? To teleport. That's that's a, a little bit different. Eric Radford put molecular telekinesis, which I'm trying to figure out, does that mean teleporting? But I'm teleporting, <laughs> believe it or not, teleporting comes up more than flying on this show. I think that's the most yeah. popular superpower. I love uh, it. My favorite sports movie is? 
Oh. Favorite sports movie. <laughs> um, there was one figure skating one, The Cutting Edge. We had Jill Officer. And, that was yeah. Jill Officer's answer, too. It wasn't a curling <laughs> movie. Yeah, it was It was the figure skating That's movie. That's historical. Does Bend It Like Beckham count? Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd, I'd write that <laughs> as a sports movie. Uh, my funniest childhood memory is. Do you have any really funny childhood memories you can remember? Oh, I mean, I was just, I was a bruiser. So I was always into something. I was always active. My brothers um, would enlist my sister and I to play backyard baseball very often, but there were also these intricate body checking plays <laughs> with when, the, when it was snow, when there was snow in the backyard and they would map out these routes and I'd have to run a certain path, catch a football and then be body checked. And that, <laughs> I thought that was so fun. I'm, I'm not sure why that was just the first thing that came to my mind when you mentioned a uh, little T as a kid. <laughs> and, and you survived. That's the important part. <laughs> I did, yeah. Uh, I'm, interested, I'm interested to see if uh, you have one for this. My favorite pump up song is, do you have anything you'll listen to? Not so much when you're skating, but just before you mm. get out there, just kind of work yourself up? Yes, in um, in Vancouver, it was Run This Town by Jay-Z and Rihanna. Mm. And in Pyeongchang, it was Unstoppable by Sia. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm so happy you picked Rihanna. That's one of my favorites. Yes. I also uh, loved the Eminem Till I Collapse. I used to listen to that a lot when I was going into the ring to do double run throughs. <laughs> oh, which Eminem? The Till I Collapse. Oh, okay. I thought you yeah. meant you were listening to an Eminem song till you collapse. <laughs> um, <laughs> Must have been a really good song. <laughs> but you listened, to, you listened till I collapse until you yes. collapse. Yes. Uh, yes. And then I went on the ice and collapsed. <laughs> this is where I get my recommendations for when I'm on a vacation like this. Uh, the, the most recent TV show I binge watched is. I don't watch a ton of TV, so I'm trying to think. <laughs> um, it wasn't Tessa and Scott. <laughs> oh, I've never watched that actually. Uh, <laughs> Line of Duty. Line of Duty. Oh, that's yeah. I've seen that on Netflix. I've wanted to check that one out. Yeah, it's a good one. Mm -hmm. uh, and last question here, uh, which uh, is always an important one to you: Who is the greatest Olympian of all time? And you are allowed to answer yourself, but you know, feel oh, free gosh, to answer somebody no, else. No. Oh my! Oh, I mean, Clara is an obvious mm -hmm. answer. Haley. Yeah. And I mean, the fact that I just need one, you know, first names for those two is <laughs> yeah. Um, Marnie McBean was a mentor, uh, Olympic rower. She was a mentor mm -hmm. of ours. And, uh, I credit a lot of our success to her, you know, really wise insights. Mm -hmm. So those are my, that's my podium of like phenomenal Canadian women. <laughs> all that's, and like you said, you, all you have to do is mention the first name, which you're in that category too. I mean, is that weird for oh. you that people don't need to know your last name? They just say Tessa and Scott and they know who you are. That's, that's very kind. I'm not sure anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we go, just uh, let people know, what are you up to right now? Is there a way people can follow you online? Anything you want to plug? Um, I mean, nothing in particular. I'm just kind of working away. I'm studying. Uh, I'm doing my MBA and uh, just started a real job uh, at one of Canada's leading consulting firms. And yeah, I'm just, just trying to hustle, hustle away, learn as much as I possibly can and um you know continue to navigate kind of the next career path mm -hmm. and do you still skate just for fun i don't really no really I, I like getting on the ice and i've been mentoring a couple of teams and i like getting on the ice and kind of diving into skating skills and mm -hmm. um you know detail work with expression and things like that i really really love that um 
but it's not often, especially right now, like what a weird time. It's not often that I would just, yeah. you know, pack up my skates and head to a rink. Mm -hmm. Well, Tessa, as we said, we've been talking for years, you know, you're one of the top guests we have to get on the show. So pleased to have you here today. And yeah, I mean, if any point in the future, you want to come back on, do a commentary or something like that for the uh, Beijing Olympics, you're more than welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And huge thanks to Tessa for being on the show here today. As I said right at the beginning, we're getting very close to the summer games now. Uh, as it's been about a year since it was originally supposed to be out. We've continued to fill the time. We're going to continue to fill the time in the next two months or so until the summer games are finally here. We do have more athlete interviews that are coming your way soon. We're not going to announce exactly who we're bringing on next because it's still up in the air. There's a couple of interviews that we're working out right now. But uh, we are hoping to bring you athletes from sports we've never talked to before. Which has just been great to do that, to discover new sports. Some of these athletes you might actually see in the next two months, whenever we actually get to Tokyo. Fingers crossed, get to Tokyo. So just so you don't miss it, make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you can find us. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, whatever you need to do to keep up to date on all the stuff we're bringing you as we get very, very close. I'll continue to say very, very close to the Tokyo Olympics. I'm crossing my fingers very close to the Tokyo Olympics. Thank you for joining us, and we will be back soon with another interview on Off the Podium.